It's a really unusual day if you're a pastor or a minister and you speak regularly, and I speak one, two, three, four plus times a week, and that means I have to read a lot and pray a lot, study a lot and all, but uh, an unusual phenomenon of late is I have all my studying prepared, I've got my notes prepared, this happens both uh, sometimes on my podcasts because I have to sit at my desk and do that in a microphone, or when I'm here and I'm just telling you that the, the preparation is one thing, but when you get up to do it, it's like the Holy Spirit's doing something different now because he is preparing us for the days ahead of us. How many hear me? And the Holy Spirit, there is a spontaneity to him. And, and there's a part of him that won't tell you everything. In fact, let me remind, see, I'm already off my notes. See, uh, Acts chapter 9 uh, Saul, his, his name was Saul. He was one of the most educated men of his day. He was persecuting believers and uh, uh, designating some to die. And he was separating men and women, uh, husbands, wives, children. Uh, Paul would go certain places and I'm sure people were tugging on his leg, little kids tugging. I hate you, I hate you, I hate your guts because you had my mama killed or my daddy killed or you separated my parents and my daddy or mama's in prison, yada, yada, see? But, but he was on the Damascus Road going to keep doing what he was doing. He had letters in, uh, from the government that allowed him to, to uh, uh, imprison believers and have them killed. He was, he was instrumental in all of that. And, and Jesus appeared to him, a blinding light, knocked him on the ground. Uh, the people that were with him heard, heard a noise but didn't see what he saw. It, it was so strong it blinded him. And uh, he got up and uh, he said, Lord, what, what do you want me to do? And you know what Jesus said to him? Go into the city, the next city, and it will be told you what you must do. Now, let me tell you something about God. This is a spiritual, this is a spiritual thing that you, you know, you read the Bible, but you glean things. You learn things when you put two and two together. Here's one thing about God. He won't tell you everything. And if you know everything ahead of time, I want you to know it ain't the Spirit of God telling you that. Did you hear what I just said? Mm -mm. No. He won't tell you everything. If I had known everything in my life prior to it happening, I'd have run the other way. <laughs> and, uh, you know, uh, A.B. Simpson said, the veil that hides our future. Let me say it again. The veil that hides our future is woven by the hand of mercy. That's good, Right? So you ought to just thank God you don't know everything. So what that does demand is that you walk by faith and that you, and, and that you learn to listen to his voice moment by moment. Christianity is not a haphazard relationship with God. It's a moment by moment experience with the Holy Spirit talking to you. And the, the closer you get to Jesus, uh, sometimes the less he'll say about the next thing, at the same time, he'll pour out his joy and presence on you and peace and love. And then he'll just sometimes be quiet about other things. And so for me, 
I start preparing, and it's like, okay, I'm going to do this. He said, no, I want you to do this. So today, I've got all these notes, but it's going to seem, and they're on, online, but it'll seem somewhat haphazard. But there is rhyme and reason. He actually, I got up this morning, I get up at 4 o'clock on Sundays, and I pour a cup of coffee, go upstairs, sit down, and I, I read my notes and pray and stuff. And then I do a couple hours of praying, and, uh, and I just, and, and the truth is, when I sat down in that chair and put my coffee cup on the table beside it, he spoke to me and uh, said, I want you to do it this way. I said, okay, I got you. Why? He said, no matter why, I just do it. So I have an outline. I'm talking about preparing for Jesus' return. How many know Jesus is coming back maybe sooner than later? And we just need to be ready. Some of the things I've shared, this is lesson three on this. And uh, I'm going to get my notes, but they're just going to be seemingly discombobulated. But just come out a different way. Um, you know, we're, we're entering into a time of judgment. That's at the beginning of my notes. And I've mentioned that the last two times I've spoken on this subject. Uh, the, the time of Jesus' return literally is a time of judgments on the earth. Those judgments will culminate with two very difficult things happening. And the good news is I don't believe believers will be here to experience the terrible thing called the day of the Lord. Everybody say the day of the Lord. Now, I'll have time, and it's in my notes. I just won't get there today. The day of the Lord is actually the wrath of God poured out on disobedient people and people that just want to cavort to the flesh and listen to the devil and live and live like hell on earth. Did you hear what I'm saying? There is judgment coming. Just like there was judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah, there will be judgment on our current uh, lifestyles. That goes over big. They, they actually start with Revelation 8, the trumpet judgments in Revelation chapter 8. And online you can go and I've, I've actually verse by verse taught the book of Revelation and it's on our, it's on our website. Nonetheless, um, Revelation chapter 8 starts the trumpet judgments with meteorites hitting the earth and changing the composition of the atmosphere in such a way that the vegetation dies. And then eventually the water is polluted, both salt and fresh, and it's a terrible time. And it looks like the synopsis of Scripture is, uh, if you know Jesus, you won't be here during that time. Is that good news? And then there are bold judgments spoken of in Revelation 16. And again, there's seven of those, and they are, I'm telling you, they are hell on wheels. And, and those that will be here will experience some tremendous duress uh, uh, at least over half the population will die. And that's, uh, that shows you how terrible, terrible those times are coming. Said all that to say judgment is coming. And, you know, while we while our time away doing this and that, super, super, superfluous things or things that really don't matter, um, all the time that judgment is encroaching. And our job as believers is, is to live in such a way that people ask us questions. Is that right? And that we're, we're able to share Jesus with people. And, and I hope you're doing that. How many know you should be sharing Jesus with people every chance you get? Is that true? So uh, anyway, last week I talked about, I talked about the uh, miracle working power of God. God is awesomely infinite. He lives um, outside of creation. Uh, and, and he created the laws of nature as we know them. And he can manipulate and control the laws of na nature and change them. Yes or no? So, so you know, uh, Jesus turned water into wine. He fed, he fed uh, uh, thousands of people twice with, with uh, just a little bit of food in the New Testament. We talked about Old Testament. God protected Daniel from a lion's mouth all night long while that, that, that lion's salivating, wanting a chunk of flesh. I mean, Daniel's just worshiping, praising God, not touched. 
And then his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, not touched as they were thrown into a terrible fire. And, uh, and, and not even the smell of smoke when they came out. And actually saw another fourth person, Jesus, was in there with them. Isn't that amazing? So all these things are written for our admonition upon whom uh, the ends of the world to come. So says 1 Corinthians 10, 11. So you read all these stories. Moses parted the Red Sea with a rod. Moses struck a rock and water came out to, 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 uh, to um, give cool, fresh, re refreshing drink to over two and a half million Israelites. Uh, in the morning, manna fell. Food from heaven, angels' food, Psalm says, fell and fed two and a half million people for almost 40 years. Do you think there'll ever be a time that God can't take care of his people? No. He's going to provide for you if he has to manipulate the laws of nature with a miracle. How many believe that? Until we go home to be with Jesus. Having said that, we've got to deal with our character. and We've got to let him deal with us. I'm going to jump to the second point. I've got seven things I'm talking about and haven't even got to the first one yet. And I'm going to skip the first one today because one thing you need to know about the day we're living in is great pressure is here to stay. I don't like to say that, but you know, we have four children and sometimes I'd have daddy conversations with my kids, say, guys, everybody have a seat on the couch and mama sitting over here, you know, say, got, got, got to say something. Things are a changing and here's what's going to be happening. So uh, this is beyond our control, but this is what's happening X, Y, Z. And just look at me like, really? I said, huh, that's right. That's what's happening. I'm daddy. I'm supposed to let you know these things. So God's let us know great pressure is here to stay. When Jesus uh, was asked by his disciples what it would look like before we came back, uh, to put it in our own words, pressure will be here to stay. So I got some uh, challenging things to say and some good things to say about that. You want to hear it? So here we are, Luke 21, 8, he replied, they asked him, what it's going to be like just before you come back? Luke 21, 8, don't let anyone mislead you. For many will come in my name claiming I'm the Messiah, saying the time has come. But don't believe them. And when you hear of wars and insurrections, don't panic. Yes, these things must take place first, but the end won't follow immediately. So challenging times um, uh, lying, deception, delusion. We've talked about that in the past. Then he added, nation will go to war against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes and there will be famines, plagues in many lands. Um, famines are sometimes as a result of war because the fields where they plant the crops are not able to be planted, as is the case right now in Ukraine. It's the breadbasket of Europe. And there's some real challenging times coming for the European people. Pray for them. There are really challenging times coming, and I can't get off into a tangent on that without war. is not everything you think. But nonetheless, Jesus said, nation will go to war against nation, kingdom against kingdom. Great earthquakes, so nature will begin to, be, to, to rise up. It will become malevolent to the the um, inhabitants of this planet because judgment will come god often uses two things for judgment he uses the pressure of circumstance and many times for a nation other nations coming in to to uh, cripple that nation then he also uh, and and then he also uses um and then he also uses uh, the nation then he also uses nature to rise up against um, uh, a people group when there is judgment. So just be aware of that. Uh, Jesus also said, verse 12, before all these, in fact, I didn't finish, there'll be great earthquakes, there'll be famines, plagues, and many lands. There'll be terrifying things, great uh, miracle, miraculous signs from heaven. But before all this occurs, there'll be a time of great persecution. Now watch that. You'll be dragged into synagogues, prisons. Hmm. You'll stand before trial, stand trial before kings and governors. Why? 
because you are my followers. Isn't that interesting? You know, one of the most persecuted groups of people worldwide are Christians because we don't acquiesce to the liberal, do-what-you-want-to-do attitude of the Antichrist spirit that is conquering the world right now. Yes or no? So um, you really, you know what, I, I've told you this before, the LGBTQ agenda is to change family life, is to alter the views of your children, and to erase God from the human race and his principles. When you erase God, you have to erase his word. Yes or no? It's the way it is. So just want to be aware of that, and I think that that will be the thing that that brings tremendous persecution to believers worldwide. So if you kowtow or acquiesce to that and you compromise, you will lose. You will lose, you know, but if you take your stand, you know what? You can't lose. Is that true? And then Jesus said this, um, uh, where, uh, yeah, uh, you'll be dragged into synagogues, prisons. You'll stand before kings, governors, because you're my followers. Uh, but this will be your opportunity to tell them about me. So, so when you get accosted because you're doing right, you ought to shout. In fact, Jesus said uh, in Matthew 6, 10 through 12, he said, when you're persecuted for righteousness sake, rejoice because your name becomes great in heaven. Is that cool? Americans don't think about any of this because we haven't been persecuted much yet. But the time may come. But this will be your opportunity, he said again, to tell them about me. And then verse 14 of Luke 21. So don't worry in advance about how to answer the charges against you. For I'll give you the right words and such wisdom that none of your opponents will be able to reply or refute you. Even those closest to you, your parents, brothers, relatives, friends, will betray, wow, will betray you. So, so it causes friction in family. Isn't that strange? Do you see any friction in families now? Huh? Yeah, wow. Wow, isn't that interesting? Uh, but he said, but on a hair of your head will perish by standing firm. You'll win your souls. Wow. Uh, and then verse 25, later on down in the chapter here, skipping a few verses, there will be suns in the sun, the moon, the stars, um, uh, cosmic disturbances. Now, I'm going to interject something here, and I don't have time to explain it. Go on the website, and I've got lots of teaching on this, but it looks like how do you know when the rapture of the church is going to occur? Jesus said it in Matthew 24, verses 29 through 31, that when the, the sun loses its luster when the, uh, or its brightness and the moon loses its luster is a better way to say it. And when it uh, seems like you can't see the stars, and that agrees with Revelation 6, 12 through 18, uh, cosmic disturbances, if you want to call it, and it, there's uh, six, seven times in Scripture uh, in the uh, prophets of the Old Testament where they mentioned the sun, the moon, the stars changing. Jesus added definition to that and say, when you see that, lift up your heads for your redemption uh, is coming close. It's drawing near. He said the angels of God will go to the four corners of the earth and gather the elect together. That is easily the rapture of the church. Y'all ain't even happy about it. Do y'all know what the rapture of the church is? The catching away of the saints? Yeah? Are you excited about that? Well, he gives you a sign, and here it is. There will be signs in the sun, the moon, the stars. When you see them changing, you say, well, my Lord, I can't hardly see the sun. Get ready. Jesus is coming back. Huh? Uh, there will be distress, trouble, anguish of nations, bewilderment, perplexity. 
Without resources, left wanting, embarrassed, uh, in doubt, not knowing which way to turn at the roaring, the echo of the tossing of the sea. This is amplified New Testament. Uh, verse 26, men swooning away or expiring with fear and dread and apprehension and expectation of the things that are coming on the world. Things become so chaotic that, well, what am I doing? You know, they're, they're just, uh, they get the heebie-jeebies, as I would say in South Carolina. They just have a hard time. For the very powers of the heavens are shaken and caused to totter. Wow. And then you will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with great transcendent and overwhelming power and all his kingly glory, majesty, and splendor. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Now, you know, when I said that, we ought to all be doing this. Right? Now, when these things begin to occur, lift up and lift up your heads. Look up and lift up your heads because your redemption deliverance is drawing near. Now, so Jesus basically said in those verses there in Luke 21 and the sister chapters are Matthew 24 and then Mark 13. All three of those chapters um, in, the, in the synoptic gospels, they all kind of parallel each other. He's talking about the end times and what you could look for. So some things are mentioned in Matthew that are not mentioned in Luke and vice versa and Mark. So you might want to go remember those chapters. They're end time chapters, Luke 24, Mark 13, and uh, uh, what I say, Luke, Matthew 24, Mark 13, and Luke 21. So uh, the main thing he said was pressure. Would you agree pressure's come? Do you feel pressure right now? Huh? Yeah? How many feel extra pressure than you did last year? Raise your hand. How many feel more pressure than you did three years ago? Four years ago? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Life's changing. So I got, I got two uh, illustrations uh, that I want to bounce off of this, and I want to ask a question as I begin this, and this changes my notes, and you got to find my notes. Uh, there's all there, but I, it's all a little bit discombobulated because the Lord uh, changed it. Uh, two people that you will probably follow the pattern of. And, and it's according to which pattern you follow as to what you get. There will be people that will follow the pattern of Demas. Who is very, not, very unknown. And then there will be those that follow the pattern of Gideon. So I, honestly, I... This, the Lord, I had already studied all this out, but I was actually on my riding lawnmower cutting my grass. No kidding. And in, in a, a second of time, boom, I saw, I said, oh, wow. And I had to stop. I got my note section out on my phone and I went to typing. Boy, oh boy. So here it is. Demas was a companion of the Apostle Paul in 2 Timothy 4. It's a little known, not very much known about Demas, except he was in, in Paul's entourage as he ministered. And obviously, ministering alongside the Apostle Paul, he saw the persecution, the challenge, but he also saw the glory of God as, as Paul would lay hands on people, as, as people would be healed and delivered and set free, and the gifts of the Spirit would, would come into manifestation. He saw people uh, get saved from the lower of culture to the to the very hierarchy of the Roman Empire and just uh, Demas was there with the other disciples that were with the Apostle Paul as he as he traveled as he journeyed uh, on his missionary journeys and uh, but uh, he was a companion of the Apostle Paul and he left Paul and the ministry listen because he was overcome by the pressure of circumstance and he allowed the current cultural emphasis of his day uh, to pull him away from God. Now, that's, that's sad. Uh, actually, I, I read this the first time I was maybe 20, 
I'm probably 24 years old when I read this the first time and studied out Demas, and this is back in the 1980s, mid-1980s. First, Second Timothy 4, 9 and 10 says, Diligently try to come to me soon. The Apostle Paul is just about to be decapitated because he wouldn't recant the Lord Jesus. Diligently try to come to me soon. Demas, now watch, Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world. He's talking to Timothy. And has departed to Thessalonica, Crescens to Galatia, and Titus to Dalmatia. I can just hear his voice. Demas has forsaken me. There's a man that walked with him, a man that prayed with him, ate with him, a man who watched him as he ministered, helped him, perhaps carried his bags, and perhaps was used by God to minister in some of the ways perhaps the apostle Paul did because when you hang around people, they rub off on you, right? Hmm. Complete Jewish Bible says of Demas, and of course, I'm just going to read this one section uh, for the rest of these. Diligently try to come to me. Demas has forsaken me. And then this phrase, having loved this present world. Um, and I, some of these you won't have. I didn't put them in the notes I published, but they're in my personal notes. The God's Word translation says, Demas has abandoned me. Watch this. He fell in love with this present world. What an indictment for a believer, huh? Uh, then Weist Expanded Translation, you have this one, I think. Demas let me down, having set a high value upon this present age and thus has come to love it. What do you value? What in our culture do you, are the things you value what God values? You got to ask yourself that as our culture changes, as it drifts away from God, as the moral fiber and foundation is eroded in America, what are, what are you going to do? What are you going to believe? What are you going to instill in your children? Uh, what are you going to do with yourself and your private moments? Are you going to acquiesce to the culture or are you going to stand strong? That's, that's, wow, it's a big question. New Living Translation, Demas has deserted me because he loved the things of this life. Message paraphrase said, Demas chasing fads. Whoa, whoa. I won't ask for a show of hands. How many fad chasers do we have in the house? Wow. Isn't that challenging? Yeah. You know, you live long, uh, if you live a few decades of life, you begin to see fads. You, you see things come and go. You see things actually circle back around. And what used to be, uh, you know, popular comes, becomes popular again. So don't throw away your old clothes and stuff because, you know, I might, you might not be able to fit in them, but nonetheless, you know, <laughs> who knows? Anyway, um, now to Passion Translation says it this way. Please come as soon as you can since demons deserted me as I left to go to Thessalonica. Oh, uh, this is an indictment for he loves his own life. Let me ask you a question. Do you love your life more than you love Jesus? Life meaning, do you love how life is right now and the things that you eat, the things that you do, the people that you're with, you know, the accolades that people share upon you because you've helped them? And so do you love that more than your relationship with Jesus? See? And, you know, I begin to think about Demas. How in the world, how in this world could a man who walked with a spiritual man like the Apostle Paul with his caliber of ministry fall away. Well, what did he do? How in the world could Demas? There's not a lot. If you go to church history, we won't find a lot about Demas. You just can't find it. But uh, he's there. 
And he's known for deserting the Apostle Paul and leaving the things of God behind. I just wondered for him. I just thought about it for a while and thought, now what, what would cause a man as close as you get to the power of God? What would cause a person like that to fall away? It's a big question, isn't it? The answer I came up with as I thought about it was, now here's a fact, sin will make you numb to God. Huh? Is that true? I mean, can I get really real? Women, if you're reading porn books. Men, if you're looking at pornography. Huh? Or if you're singing lusty songs with the favorite, you know, band of the day. You'll get numb to God. It won't matter. Hmm? My mind just went back. Y'all okay? I feel like I got to wander a bit. My mind went back to the 80s. I went to the second Bible school I attended. Met a good friend there. And uh, something happened. and I didn't He fell away from God. And I really, you know, he actually worked on staff at the church with me as a janitor when I was in, uh, sort of after school. And uh, I saw him one day somewhere at a store in Tulsa. And I saw him, he had a cigarette in his hand. And he said, hey, this is what he did. <laughs> now, I'm not kidding. <sighs> Blew the smoke in. Hi, Mitch. <sighs> well, hi, I called his name. What you doing? And he cursed. He used a curse word. I said, well, I'm doing blankety blank, 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 blank. And I said, well, wow. Wow. What's life been like? He had a disappointment. You know, if you are disappointed, you have to make an appointment with God or it can do you in. You can let your disappointments move you away from God. And there's somebody in the room here. You've let disappointments move you away. God hasn't come through the way you thought he would or, you, or you've been disenfranchised by someone. Do you hear me? That you trusted. Hmm. Hebrews 3.13, but exhort one another daily while it's called today. Call each other near. That word parakaleo, exhort, means to call alongside, to call near. Today, lest any of you be hardened. Now look at that. Hardened how? Through the deceitfulness of sin. You've heard this often um, quoted saying, sin will take you farther than you ever thought you'd go, make you stay longer than you'd ever thought you'd stay, and make you pay more than you ever thought you'd pay, right? compromises song of solomon 215 says it's the little foxes that spoil the vines and in an agrarian culture they you know my my dad had we had scuppernons you know what that is grapes we also had conquered grapes really really nice and then we had those golden grapes and uh, you know we we made this apparatus particularly for the scuppernon vine it was way up off the ground and it had one trunk from the in the middle and then it just flowered out and my dad made this big apparatus for it to grow on and we had fresh scuppernons all the time and uh, really good but nonetheless uh, uh, when he said the little foxes spoil the vine the the, um, the big animals could not reach and and the the uh, um, those that uh, had orchards in um, uh, for grapes in uh, in in Bible times. Um, you know, of course, they would put the vines way up off the ground because, because the animals that eat the grapes, they're sweet, they taste good. 
And uh, so they put them up off the ground. So it's not the big animals they had to deal with. The deer couldn't reach them. Other animals couldn't reach them. But it's the little foxes could crawl their little rascal self right at the middle of the vine and eat the grapes. And see, that's, a, that's an analogy for us. It's not the big things in life that whip us. It's the etching away of conscience because of the small things that we just ignore. Don't ignore anger. Don't ignore hurt. Don't ignore pain. Don't ignore disappointment. It won't go away. It'll get down inside of you and can harden and, 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 and hurt your relationship with Jesus. Did you hear what I'm saying? That's the reason. Now, I'll come back to this in a minute. You got that? So I'll come back and talk about what to do with that. But there's one person. So we're, you're either going to emulate or be like, Demas, and something's going to grab you. So, so let me say, I don't care how long you've been in God. I've been in Jesus. This is my 47th year. I've been to three Bible schools. I've had lots of friends over the different period of years. And, and I've had some that walked away from God. And it, it has always bothered me. I've had others that walked away from ministry. I've had people I've seen that get disillusioned in various ways. And, and I look back on all that and say, God, how in the world am I still here? And all I can tell you is you got to be willing to get on your face and suck rug and seek God when you're hurt, when things aren't right. You got you to gotta keep your spiritual closet cleaned. Did you hear me? You ever had a closet in your house? Everybody's had one at some time or the other, particularly if you got kids. You might have shelves in that closet. Well, you know, I got a screwdriver. I know I got a hammer in there somewhere. Where is it at? You open that thing and you got to pull everything out the closet. There's my hammer. There's my screw. Or there's my whatever, right? So if you keep them nice and straight, you can see everything. Without them being straight, you can't see anything hardly but a mess. And see, that can be that way with a natural closet. But having to know your spiritual life can just be a mess. And a lot of people don't relate well to God because when they open the spiritual door to fellowship with God, there's so much in the way. And they can't even hardly find out how to, how to even talk to God because there's so many things in the way. There's this conversation I had that went bad. There's this person I talked to that I said the wrong thing to. There's this thing I did the other day. There's this, uh, there, there's this other thing that occurred and this, this and this and this and this. And it, and, it, and it just messes up their spiritual closet and they can't see anything. Can't see the forest for the trees. Or the trees for the forest, maybe others other way. Right? So, so you got to find a way to clean that up. I'll come right back to that. There's another person, however, that you could emulate in God. So I don't know about you. I don't want to be like Demas, do you? But there is another person, Old Testament character. You know, uh, in some ways, I, I think of, uh, you know, anyway, I think about him and say, you know, God, I can understand that man. And Judges chapter 6, his name was Gideon. When you go to Judges chapter 6, Judges was a time when Israel had no king. The very last sentence of the book of Judges aptly describes America today. Every person did what was right in their own eyes. That's today. So they had judges, various judges, both men and women who would rise up. And judges means that they would quit the enemy, put them in their place, corral them, and push them away from the people of God lest they overcome them and destroy them. So one of the judges was Gideon. Gideon came during a time in Israel that the Midianites uh, were trying to whip Israel. And here's what they did. The Midianites would attack Israel during the harvest season. 
And so they planted all their crops and they're getting ready to harvest their crops. And they would attack them while they're harvesting out in the field. And, the, and you know, the Israelites were just afraid of them. They were marauders. They were hurting them. They were overcoming them. And Gideon came uh, by during that time. When you get to verse 11 of uh, Judges, let me just tell the story a little bit. You find Gideon and, and you know, he's not a bold man of God. He's a wimpy dude with a, a, a spine of a noodle. And he's back behind one of the machinery that helps them uh, uh, press the grapes for wine, for grape juice. We would call their wine grape juice. You understand? It ain't like today. Anyway, I won't get there. Uh, But anyway, he's behind there and an angel appears to him and says, Oh, welcome, mighty man of valor. And the first thing Gideon does is, Who are you talking to? Well, the angel said, I'm talking to you. He said, you're going to whip the Midianites as one man. You're going, to, you're going to be used by God to corral the Israelites, to whip the Midianites as by one man. He said, you can't be talking to me. He said, I'm talking right to you. God sent me to talk to you. Get, he said, I'm the least in my father's house. I'm the run of the group. I'm the smallest of the brothers. He said, I got the wrong, the right guy. He said, prove it. So the angel did it. The angel manifests his angel power. He made some, he made some food for the angel, set it on a rock and boom. I mean, it just kind of exploded into a flame. He said, I reckon God did talk to you. Okay. What, what you want me to do? And then he said, I want you to go to the prophets of Baal. Baal's in the land of Israel. Baal is an awful religion. Baal worship was, was, uh, wor- Baal was worshiped through sexual immorality and they offered sacrifices to Baal in Israel on the altar of the Lord. And right beside the altar of the Lord during uh, Gideon's time, you can read it in Judges 11, maybe read it this afternoon, uh, there was, there was, um, there was um, uh, an a pole, which you know, is really nasty to even talk about. It's a phallus. It was a... It was a sexual organ that was, that was made right, besi- right beside the altar. And they were having s- sexual orgies right beside the altar. How awful. It's kind of coming around today that way. H- have you noticed that? If you go to a church and you're watching online that lets anybody be anything they want to be and doesn't talk about purity and holiness and men and women and marriage, you need to run away from that. Because judgment will fall on that one day. And if you're involved in that, judgment will fall one day. God always gives space to repent. But during Gideon's day, there it was. And the angel told Gideon, said, here's what God says he wants you to do. He wants you to destroy the altar of Baal. And he wants you to, he wants you to destroy the Asherah pole. He wants you to, to give a sacrifice to God. Uh, Gideon got 10 of his men. Gideon got 10 of his men and uh, at night while everybody's sleeping, tore down that Asura pole. I mean, tore it up, made it into, listen, made it, didn't just tear it up, made it into firewood. And then took the wood from the, from the Asura pole that they worshiped that God bailed by and then made a fire for it and made an altar to the Lord and used that wood to burn the fire that made a sacrifice to God. The real God. I woke up the next morning. Everybody woke up. What happened to our Asherapole? Where's the Baal worship stuff? Well, Gideon, this guy named Gideon, him and 10 men tore it up. And then they burned it all up and sacrificed to the God of Israel. We gonna kill him. 
And you know what? They couldn't because God Almighty protected him. And God said, God said to Gideon, you know what's going to happen, Gideon? I'm going to use you. I'm going to use you to free the Israelites from Midianite oppression. And, uh, and so he had 32,000 men that were on his side. And God said, too many. They uh, quickly erased 10,000, 22,000. God said, too many. Make the long story short. God said, you just need a few people with you because my power is greater than any human power. And he honed 22,000 warriors down to 300. By the way, they drank water. And I said all of that, y'all ready for this? But to read one scripture to you because that can be, this can be replicated in your life today if you let it. The reason that Gideon was hiding, he was afraid, he was a wimp, and suddenly he turned into a man of God and he led the Israelites out of the oppression of the enemy. And, and I mean, absolutely did away with the Baal worship during his lifetime. That's awesome. You know why he did it? Because of Judges, Judges 6, verse 34. Amplified, listen to this. But the Spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon with himself and took possession of him. Ow! That's all I need to read in that verse. Did you know the Spirit of God can come upon you and take possession of you and make you into a different person? Instead of a, a, a wimpy, chameleon, change with the wind, change with the person you're in front of, you can be, get, get a backbone of steel and say, I'm a man, I'm a woman of God, and I will not bend. <laughs> so what you going to be? Going to be Demas? So, so let me say it this way. If you don't deal with your life, and clean your spiritual closet. There is potential you'll become a Demas. Did you get what I just said? 2 Corinthians 12, 5. I think it says, but let a man examine. No, no. Um, check yourselves. Examine yourselves to see whether you be in the faith. 1 Corinthians eleven thirty one. 31. Examine a man. Let every person examine himself. And then let him eat the bread and drink the wine, speaking of communion. So the New Testament idea is to examine yourself, right? E even the Greek philosopher said, an unexamined life is not worth living. And Christians today don't examine anything but the dinner plate. <laughs> or the gym when they're working out. Huh? So am I going to be a Demas or am I going to be a Gideon? How many want to be like a Gideon? Yeah. Want to have the boldness to do what you need to do when you need to do it, right? Well, again, how do you do that? Well, you got to deal with yourself. Now I'm going to change a little bit and I'm going to be sporadic with the notes, but it's, it's in the notes, but just not the way I'm going to uh, spill it out. You got to have times as a believer, and I just want to talk to you from my heart, that you allow God to search your heart. This is not... Christianity is not a set of outward rules check, and checklists. Well, I read my Bible, prayed today, talked to people today, was nice to the old people, old ladies, helping them cross the street, bought somebody a meal, blah, blah, blah. No, no. You might do some of that, but Christianity is a heart relationship with a living God. 
And in Christianity, you, you do a lot of closet cleaning. If, if you're a real believer and you're not a surface believer, so let me take a little journey here and say that in the future, when the pressure gets going, pressure shows what's inside of you. Yes or no? Pressure shows up how either strong you are or how pitiful you are. You know, you can appear to be strong and you're not. You know, you, you might look like one of these uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger guys. But you can't do squat in a fight. You know what I mean by that? Or you may look like one of these little guys don't have any muscles, but you know what? You can hold your own, son. It's not outward appearance, right? I don't care what I look like on the outside, but on the inside, yeah, I want to be like Arnold Schwarzenegger. Smith Wigglesworth said, I'm 10,000 times bigger on the inside than I am on the outside. Now, there's a person who was dealing with himself. I mentioned this Wednesday night. Smith Wigglesworth said, to get where I am, and if you don't know who he is, you can read his books. I think he died in 1947, um, born in like 19, 1860, I mean, and, um, but uh, had 23 people raised from the dead under his ministry and lots of people healed all over the world. He said, and I said this Wednesday, and I said, he said to get to the place where God can use me, it felt like a thousand railroad engines ran over me. You know what he was saying? I didn't understand it. I said this Wednesday, and I didn't understand it when I, was, when I was young. I understand it now. You know what he was saying? I've had to go somewhere and let God deal with me. Or you could say it this way, I've had to do a lot of spiritual closet cleaning. Huh? So I want to ask you a question. How's your spiritual closet? The shape of your spiritual closet is going to determine what you do in the pressure time. In the pressure time, you need to connect with God. And if there are things in the way, you'll have a hard time doing so. Many men of God that I've read after, and I read a good bit, have said similar things. If you wait to get faith when you absolutely got to have it, you'll be at a disadvantage. Or if you wait to have a close experience with God and wait until you just got to have it, it'll be a prayer of desperation and not faith. Huh? You get it? So in the good time, when it ain't so bad, yeah, everybody's got some pressure, but you can handle it. You can go to work, feed your family, deal with your kids, you know, stay sanely married in some way. You can still do that. But when the stuff hits the fan and everybody's having a hard time, What's inside of you shows up immediately. So, listen, you know, uh, 1998, y'all okay? 1998, I was on a missions trip to uh, uh, Guatemala, and, um, and uh, the ministry had uh, uh, an airplane, uh, uh, DC-3. I'm trying to think of the name of it. Anyway, the thing crashed. It's actually November 1st, 1998. Many of you know about that. But uh, uh, I had eight people from our church there, including me, and Susan was there. And uh, that was, but here's what I saw in that. We had 100 people from the states there. And uh, when the plane crashed, it crashed on top of a mountain not far from where we were staying, some bungalows we were staying in. And when the word came to us, I actually went to the top of the mountain, saw the plane crash, saw the wreck. It was terrible. It was just horrible. But, but the thing that startled me, and, you know, I was 40 years old when this happened, but it startled me. I'd never seen how people, what people do when they experience trauma. When I got back to the, to the campus, 
where the ministry had their buildings and such and went into the main dining hall and everybody was there. There were people talking out of their heads. The trauma of the airplane crash so traumatized their minds that they couldn't think straight. And then there were people hallucinating. I'm not making this up. We had people hallucinating. And they were saying that people that had died in the plane crash were alive because they saw them, yada, yada, yada. Now, you know, that woke me up. That woke me up big. I said, whoa, whoa, whoa. And they lost their mental, emotional, and human equilibrium in the test. And it was basically fairly new believers who were there. They hadn't been seasoned in God a whole lot, but they were excited about going on a missions trip. But this was a very traumatic thing that happened. They just weren't ready for it. Now, that opened my eyes. So fast forward to now. When, when it, it, whenever whatever hits the fan, it's what's in you that comes out immediately. You get it? So, so that's why I say I'm either going to be a Demas because here's what happens. Pressure looks for pleasure. So if the pressure gets tight and tough, do you hear me? There ain't going to be people fall off the wagon because they don't have the inter internal goods to stay afloat. Do you hear me? That's why people that used to drink go back to drinking, used to do drugs and go back to doing drugs, used to do sex and porn, go back to sex and porn. They're looking for pleasure in the place of their pain. Do you get that? I don't know about you, but I don't want to go back to what I was. It ain't worth looking at or thinking about because Jesus is a whole lot better. Would you agree? So how do you do this? Let me wind this up and say this. Uh, years ago, I first came to Jesus. I had never done this. I was raised in the Baptist church. I went to church three times a week as a little boy. And sometimes we have revivals every night of the week. All, I mean, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. I was like, Jesus, ain't nothing but church. I can't even ride my bicycle. Dang. No. <laughs> but I never, ever, ever saw somebody get on their face and seek God. That's foreign to me. Oh, we prayed sentence prayers at church. We prayed the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. We've prayed it all. But getting close to God, and I mean cleaning closet, I didn't know that world. When I came to Jesus at, um, in 1976, September, uh, not long after that, I, I just, you know, nobody, I, I to, nobody told me to do what I'm telling you right now. But I didn't know what it was, but I just knew, you know, God, somehow I got to connect with you and it's got to be more than surface. And it's got to be more than praise and worship in church. And it's got to be more than Christian lingo with a few friends in a circle. It's got to be something different. Because I hurt. And when I tell you I hurt, you ever had a, an emotional knot in your throat you can't get rid of it? If you've had anybody hurt you, do you wrong. Somebody you trusted that failed you. You've had that. Or life itself has grabbed you by the throat and threw you on the ground. Stomped on you a few times. Well, I was just 18 and I had that kind of stuff. But here's what I started doing. I did not know. I did not know. I had no idea what it would do to me. I would find myself. I would work all day. I was in school. I would, and then I came home. And I would, uh, I would shut the door in my room after I had supper at night. Got off at 6 from the grocery store I worked at while I was in college. Still live with my parents. 
Went down the hallway, got in my room, shut the door, said, y'all, I'm going to my room. And I'd spend several hours just, I would read the Bible. And then that emotional knot said, God, I don't know what's wrong. I don't know what I need. I'd just been filled with the Holy Spirit, spoke with tongues. It was wonderful. But I came down from that cloud 12 and, and reality hit. And it's like, okay, I'm, I still got some stuff, baggage from my past. What I do with it? And here's what I found. I found myself, no, nobody told me, on the floor. I put my Bible on the floor, and I'd read my Bible. I'd just read certain segments of the, just read a few scripture on my knees. i get on my knees, and up on my elbows, and read my Bible a little bit, and say, God, you got to help me. I hurt, and I don't know why I hurt. I don't know what to do, and I'd pour my heart out. Um, uh, you know, I had, when I was 16, I had a little girlfriend that, actually jumped out a second-story window and eloped with another guy I worked with. Ask me how that made me feel. And then I was picked on constantly as a kid because my body grew up, but I was younger, two or three years younger than everybody. I skipped the seventh grade, went to sixth grade to the eighth grade because of uh, scholastics, you know. And I started school at age five, so put me, me socially behind everybody. So that was a challenge, and that produced all kinds of challenges and mental and emotional mess. And that was all inside me, even after I came to Jesus. How many know you still got baggage up here in your head, even though you gave your life to Jesus? You've got to find a way to deal with that. first way to deal with that, perhaps we'll talk about it next time, is get in the Word of God. Start reading the Bible. You know what? The Word, he's, <laughs> the word will set you free. Yes. If you continue in my Word, Jesus said, then are you my disciples indeed? And you'll know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Now, that's true. And then second thing is, you gotta, you got to put shoe leather on the Word. you got to make it practical. So I started getting on my face and saying, God, you know, this person did said that. That person said that. You know, Lord, I'm angry about this. I've been angry about that. I've been hurt about this. I feel like I've been taken advantage of all my life, yada, yada. And I don't know what to do about that, but I place that at your feet. That turned into, listen to this. That turned into now. So that was in 1976. And I, I don't know why, but I would weep my eyeballs out. I'd talk to God and, it, and I would read the word. And, and the word felt like, it, the word felt like a candle inside me. And my insides were wax. And as the candle turned on, my insides began to melt. God began to deal with me about attitudes, about anger, about frustration, about uh, uh, worry. I was a worry wart about everything. And I just begin to pray and talk to him and say, God, this hurts me. This bothers me. Help me. I'm wrong with that. Forgive me. And you know, I didn't realize then, but I was cleaning my closet out a little bit at a time. And, and I didn't realize a pattern. I, I didn't know. But there was a pattern that began to be set. And now, let me just tell you how life is. When, when, when you have hurt, pain, anger, frustration or any kind of temptation from your past i have learned that god your heavenly father already knows what you're experiencing or he already knows the internal parts of you how many hear what i just said lord you have known me and searched me 
You know when I sit down. You know when I rise up. You understand my thoughts afar off. There's not even a word in my tongue, but lo, O Lord, you know it all together. You've surrounded me behind and before and laid your hand on me. Where can I go from your spirit? This is all Psalm 139. Where can I flee from your presence? If I, if I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I go to the depths of the sea, you're there. If I go to hell, you're there. Nothing can hide me from you. So I took that, and you know what? Now, here's what happens. And I've been doing this, y'all. I'm going to tell you how to stay free. It's, it's not as hard as it sounds, but it takes commitment. Not the commitment of Demas, but the commitment of Gideon, who saw himself as nothing, but allowed, allowed God to work in his life, and he was transformed. So it takes just being gut level. So can you be gut level? Some people can't because they're afraid. When I first started doing this, it's like, God, I tremble when I go here. I got to talk to you about something I've been thinking. It might be a lust thought. It might be an anger thought. It might be a thought that somebody needs to have. That person right there, they need to get run over by a truck. Yeah, that's terrible. Yeah, that's called malice, by the way. I was full of malice when I wanted bad things hap to happen to people that did me wrong. Did you know that's called malice? Did you know that our movies and American theater are filled with malice? And I was filled with malice, anger, hurt. If you're having a pity party every other day, you're full of you. Uh-huh, you're full of hurt, Right? Why'd that have to happen to me? Why'd my wife leave me? Why'd my husband leave me? Why my children not talking to me? Why did the boss look over me? Shut up. <laughs> Except go to God. Say, God, I'm upset because the boss passed over me. Lord, I I'm upset because this person did that. Lord, I'm upset. You know, Lord, my spouse, my husband ain't doing that. Or my wife, she ought to be doing that. She ain't doing it. What you gonna do about it, Lord? And he, saw, he might say something like, what you going to do about your self-centeredness? Why are you always thinking about you? Mm. But let me tell you what the Lord's done in my life. And he wants to do the same thing in all of us. He wants you to take you to him on your face and be honest and clear about the things that bother you. If you've never done this, it'll be a challenge to start. The first thing you need to know is this. Y'all getting anything out of this? is that he loves you ultimately and completely. And that there will never be a person in your life that cares about you more than God, your heavenly father. Isaiah said, though he be high, he has respect to the lowly. It's the way he is. And God can handle your words. He just wants you to be honest. Did you hear me? Can, I don't know how to say this except just to blurt it out raw. There are people who are tattooed head to toe, whose life ain't all perfect, who can have a closer relationship with Jesus than the person that's dolled up or suited up and they're doing everything right, got all the right phrases, but they never open their heart to God. They're religious. Yes, it's strange. 
Christianity is full of paradoxes. My encouragement, now's the time to open your heart. Open your closet door. Say, God, I have hurt, I have pain because of the loss I feel. And it may come out weird. I've had times I've been so plain with God. I tell him everything. If I'm tempted in any way, I tell him. I tell him, God, I don't want that. Do you hear me? Sometimes I'm tempted to chew somebody out, to get real angry. Or if you're tempted any, if your flesh tempts you, sometimes I'm still tempted to eat a half a gallon of ice cream. Tillamook, butter pecan. And I say, God, my flesh wants that so bad. Or you know what? You might be tempted, let's get real, to lust. Huh? If lust has been a part of your life, that'll come back knocking on your door. And you know what you need to do with that, Jesus? You see that right there? I don't, my flesh wants that, but I want you more than I want that. Could you take the want to for that out of me? Help me not to even want that. Maybe you're here, listen, and drink is a big deal to you. You've been drinking a long time. Drink is like, I love my bottle. Now, you wouldn't tell anybody else that, but inside you're thinking, just give me a little nip every now and then. When I was a little boy, I didn't realize what was going on. One of the, I worked in a meat department in a grocery store. Everybody okay? And this guy that was my overseer, my boss, I, I, I called him one day and he was walking. We had a, free, a 40, 38-degree freezer, I reckon, with all the meat in it, you know. And, and I watched him. And he took this little bottle about that tall out of his bag. And it had contoured like his britches. I thought, well, look at him. And then he, and then, and, and, and then, and then he did this. Squirt, squirt. That man was an alcoholic. You hear me? So maybe that's you. Or maybe the over, or maybe the over-the-counter medication, or maybe prescriptions you're, you're addicted to. Or maybe it's meth, and heroin, or fentanyl. You know, believers get in all this mess. You know that, right? Or maybe for you, it's porn. I was talking to somebody the other day. You know, porn will do the same thing in the human mind. Have I said this publicly before? I can't remember where I say what I say. It'll do to the human mind what crack cocaine will do. Crack cocaine will, will, will give an appetite to the chemicals in the human brain for a, for a fix. Got to have it. Whether that's heroin, any of those um, addictive substances will do that. In the physical brain, you'll have a physical. Uh, alcohol does the same thing. Got to have it. Got to have another shot. Got to do it again. Got to do it again. Gotta, God's got to break that. Did y'all hear me? Pornography will do the same thing. Create a flashpoint in the brain. Releases the feel-good chemicals. And then, and then a person says, I loathe that mess. But they still go after it. That's an addiction. So, well, pastor, how do I get free? Go to Jesus. Or you may have an addiction for people to tell you good things. Huh? Somebody's got to please you. Somebody's got to love you. Somebody's got to pet you before you can operate right. Well, what if nobody says anything good about you except Jesus? Can you handle that? So where do you do all this? On your face. Create an altar. Jesus said, when you pray, go to your closet and shut the door. Psalm 90 verse 8 amplified. Our iniquities 
I'll come back to the word iniquities. Our secret heart and its sins, which we so like, we'd so like to conceal from ourselves. You have set, is it on the screen? In the revealing light of your countenance. Isn't that good? So our iniquity, what is an iniquity? Uh, an iniquity, you know, uh, somebody, when my dad died in 2012, somebody gave Susan and I uh, two, because you have to have fertilize, two uh, apple trees, because you got to have one to fertilize it, you know, in 2012. And, uh, and so we planted them, you know, but we had to stake them with a metal stake and some wire because trees or bushes will grow towards the sun, right? Now that growing, and they'll actually get a lean to them. Now that lean is an iniquity. An iniquity is a bend or a desire to do a certain thing, and it's in you. So what is yours? Yours might be people-pleasing. You, you may have to hear some accolades from somebody just to get by. You, you know, you got to get to where you don't need that. Or it might be anger that you wrestle with and you control people through anger, either silent anger or expressed anger. How many of anger can be silent? When nobody can talk to you for three days, you got an anger problem, my friend. Right? What's the matter? Now, you just shut up for three days. you got an anger problem. You're full of you, not full of Jesus. Right? What do you do with that? Take it to the cross. Take it to the feet of Jesus. Take it to the, take it to the carpet. Do some carpet time. Go to your closet. End of your closet, shut the door. For you, it might be porn. It might be lust. It could be an, 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 a habit. Alcohol addiction. Cigarette addiction. I've had a lot of people set free from cigarettes. That's a nasty habit, by the way. It makes your breath smell bad and your lungs tar up. It's nasty. Nasty. And now people are starting to smoke weed. You don't need to be smoking weed. Jesus is the only person you need. He's the vine. Let him be your weed. He's the vine. You're the branch. Or it may be work addiction. You don't feel good unless you're busy. I had that. I was a workaholic for many years. I could say I'm a recovering workaholic, but you know, by the grace of God, I'm free from it. Y'all get anything out of this? Search me, O God, know my heart, test me, know my thoughts. Psalm 139, 23, 24. See if there's any hurtful way, baneful motive, harmful thing. Various translations say it different ways in me and lead me on the way everlasting. Can we take 10 minutes and do something before you go? This is called closet cleaning. As an aside, uh, this is what will help. I've had people ask me recently, okay, so do I need the devil cast out of me? Because now online, there's a lot of people that are doing deliverance to everybody. Have you noticed? Do you know who will deliver you? Jesus will. Let me tell you this story. I've told many people this. In the early 80s, second Bible school Susan and I went to after we got married was uh, Kenneth Hagin's. And many times I heard Kenneth, and he's the first person I heard say it. He said, let me just tell you about deliverance. Because, you know, what goes around comes around. It's circled through several times since I've known the Lord. Now deliverance stuff. You can go look on YouTube and find all these people. Come out, come out. And everybody's got a devil. Well, number one, if you thought somebody had a devil, you need to shut up and not tell them. Because if you tell them they got one, they'll be so afraid they'll open themselves up and get one. But here's what Kenneth Hagin said. He said, many times I've had more people set free 
just by preaching the word of God. The entrance of his words give light. It gives understanding to the simple. How will a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed to his word. Psalm 37, 31, the law of God is in his heart. None of his steps will slide. Just opening yourself up to the word of God. The tentacles that those demons want to hold on to, they'll have to leave when your thoughts change. And he's the first one I heard say, lots of times people get delivered while you're just preaching the word. Because your mind gets changed. Your mind gets renewed. There's nothing for those devils to hold on to. When you get rid of your hurt, your anger, your loss, your aggravation, your frustration, there ain't nothing for them to hold on to. You get rid of your lust, you've got to have whatever. There's nothing for them to hang on to, my friend. They have to leave. Yes or no? Besides that, you come to Jesus, you have authority over devils. Yes or no? But you only have authority when you get on your face. Yes. 